Let's start at the very beginning. A very good place to start. Can't bring myself to sing those words. Anyone guess the song where they're from? Yep, that's right. Sound of Music, Julie Andrews. Uh, if you know the story at all, Maria is trying to teach the Von Trapp children how to, how to sing, so she takes them right back to the basics. She starts at the very beginning, a very good place to start. When you read, you begin with ABC. When you sing, you begin with... Now, of course, if you've seen uh, the movie or the musical, it only takes a couple of minutes after that, and the Von Trapp children are sort of dancing around fountains and wearing curtains and singing these amazing harmonies, all because they start at the very beginning. It's a very good place to start. Well, my friends, if it's good enough for the Von Trapp family singers, it's good enough for us. We're going to start today at the very beginning, not so much to learn to sing, but to learn about God. This morning, as we kick off our new series on the course of our life, as we start to think about where our lives are going and where our lives should be going, let's start at the very beginning. And in terms of the Bible, the very beginning is Genesis chapter 1, the very first chapter of the very first book of the Bible. And it's a chapter that tells us at least three important things about God and his creation of this world. Three things that have massive ramifications for the course of your life. Truth number one. Genesis 1 introduces us to a powerful God creating out of nothing. Verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now here in the very first sentence... We are being alerted to the fact that there was a time before time. There was a beginning. There was a starting point before which there was only God. There was a state where nothing else but God existed. And out of that nothingness, that void, God created Now, the word that is used for create there is a word that is only ever used in the Bible in reference to God. It is a word that emphasizes that God did not mold the heavens and the earth out of something else. God did not shape the heavens and the earth out of something else. God did not cut the heavens and the earth out of something else. He did not split. He did not join existing things. He created out of nothing. And there's an emphasis, therefore, on the completely free, unbounded sovereignty of God. We're meant to see that God is not, he's not like a craftsman who, you know, perhaps isn't able to do something because the raw materials that they're working with, that the raw materials won't let them do it. God's creativity is unlimited because he brings the raw material into being in the first place. He creates everything from scratch. Everything. From the biggest galaxy to the smallest molecule. Now they tell me that our galaxy, the Milky Way, is just your pretty basic type of galaxy in the universe. 400 billion stars. Yeah, that's pretty average, they reckon. And yet, even travelling at the speed of light, light travels pretty fast, you know, it still takes light 100,000 years to travel from one side of our Milky Way to the other side. I can't get my head around that. 
And yet there are some galaxies out there that it takes light over six million years to get across. God made it all out of nothing. Mind you, that's the big side of things. When you go little, this creation, I reckon, is still mind-boggling. Atoms. Wikipedia tells me atoms are the basic units of matter. They are minuscule. And there are heaps of them. In fact, if you took the atoms that are in just this one pencil, if you took the atoms in this one pencil and expanded each one of them to the size of a pea, okay, a pea is still not very big, I don't think, but if you took the atoms in this pencil and expanded them to the size of a pea, they would cover the entire face of the earth to a depth of 50 metres. Just the atoms in that pencil. How many of them must there be in creation? And God made every single one of them. The heavens and the earth, from the smallest molecule to the largest galaxy, he made them out of nothing. That is astonishing. It not only highlights God's power, it's also highlighting God's authority, isn't it? It's also highlighting his rightful ownership of everything. He made them out of it, nothing. He owns it. See, back when Wayne was at Bible College, I can remember visiting uh, Wayne in Sydney and being intrigued by the fact that in his lounge room was a fish tank that he had made out of an old computer. He'd taken all the insides out of the computer, sealed it all up with silicon or something rather, filled it with water, dropped a few fish in, and now you could see the fish swimming behind the screen in the computer. Never occurred to me to make a fish tank out of a computer before. Who would think to do that? I marvel at Wayne's creativity. I, I still marvel. But it never crossed my mind. It never crossed my mind that he wasn't allowed to do it. I mean, it was his computer... He bought it, he owned it, he could make a fish tank out of it if he wanted, he could use it as a doorstop, Heck, he could use it as a computer if he wanted to do He bought it, he owned it, do what he want. Think about God. He didn't simply own us by buying us at some sort of cosmic shop. He created us out of nothing. There is nothing in this life he did not create. And therefore there's absolutely nothing in this life that he does not own that he does not have authority over. You cannot compartmentalise your life as if there's some bits of your life that are God's and then there are some bits of your life that are your own. God has a say in everything. Your hobby, your children, your parents, your work, your studies, the movies you watch, the music you listen to, the books you read, the websites you visit, your friends, your sport... All made by God. All owned by God. And so the course of your life, well, it's not actually up to you to set the course of your life. Our life is not our own to do with whatever we want. We belong to God. He made us. Which can be a bit of an unsettling thought, maybe even not a very nice thought. Because even as Christians... 
We so often fall into the trap of, of treating God like some sort of cosmic GPS system where we just type in where we want to go and then we ask God for directions to there along the way. So we type in that we want to be happily married or that we want to have a nice stable family or that we want to have a good, a nice home. We type in that we want to be fulfilled. We want to feel good about ourselves. We want to be financially secure in our, our retirement. We type in where we want to go and then we ask God to help us get there and we kid ourselves that we're being good little Christians because we're praying about our decisions along the way and we are, we're trusting God along the way for his directions but it's all hopelessly undermined by the fact that we're the ones who've typed in the end destination. That's not our place. Friends, when it comes to figuring out the course of our lives, we need to humbly go before God with a blank piece of paper and see what his agenda for our life is. We hand the GPS completely over to him because he's God and we're not. Which could be a little scary if it wasn't for some other things that we see of God in this chapter. Because it doesn't just show us a powerful God creating us out of nothing, it also shows us a purposeful God creating by his word. So you would have noticed in verse 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And you probably saw it again in verse 6, and God said, let there be an expanse between the waters. Verse 9, and God said. Verse 14, God said. Verse 20, God said. Verse 24, verse 26, Verse 29, it's one of the great themes of the chapter as it was being read, wasn't it? It gets repeated time and time again. God created this world by speaking, which is a little intriguing. It was intriguing a little while ago that God sounded remarkably like Malcolm Baggett. But beside that, God created this. Why would he, why would he create that way? Why not create by sneezing? Or spitting, which is exactly what does happen in some of the Egyptian creation stories. Why not create by his touch? What's the deal with speaking? Well, at one level, it, it emphasises again how powerful he is, that he simply has to say a word and it happens. And of course, as Christians, God's speaking here, it's setting us up for the enormous importance of Jesus Christ when he arrives, because when Jesus appears, John tells us in his gospel that Jesus is the word become flesh. And so in one sense, this whole chapter that we've just heard read, it's all about Jesus before he became a man. Whoa, that's a bit of a big thought. We'll get to that in a few weeks' time. For today, though, at least one of the things we're meant to see is that by creating, by speaking... What we're seeing is God is being very purposeful in the way he creates. He speaks and then it happens. It's all very measured. It's all very intentional. It's all very planned. I mean, we often speak after things happen. You know, you, you, you touch something hot and you pull away and then you say something, often quite colourful. Or, or if someone says something to us and then we speak. Or we see something and then we speak. Often we speak in a, in a reactionary sort of way. That's not, that's not what's going on with God here. He speaks, then it happens. He is the initiator. It's all very planned. It's all very methodical. 
this purposefulness of God, it's also reinforced by that other recurring phrase you may have noticed in the chapter where it says that God saw something and it was good. Seven times throughout the chapter we're told of God looking at what he'd made and declaring that it's good. It's a reference to the fact that God has created things just right, that when he spoke everything happened in exact conformity to what he said. It's building the impression that this is all very planned. This is all very calculated, nothing unusual happening here. It's all going on exactly as it should be. And to that end, it's worth noticing the the precision and the order with which everything is done. The chapter records God speaking so as to firstly make all the compartments of creation. Did you notice that? Systematically, he firstly separates out all the different sections Day one, he speaks and he separates the light from the dark. Day two, he speaks and he separates out the compartments of sky from water. Day three, he speaks and he separates the compartments of dry land from the ocean. And then, after separating out all the different compartments, God then goes through and he methodically fills all the different compartments in exactly the same order that he created them. The night and day get filled with stars and the sun on day four. The sky nations get filled with birds and fish on day five. The dry land gets filled with animals and man on day six. It's like a a bloke with a really organised shed, you know? Um, Not like my shed, everything gets thrown in there. But you know those sort of sheds where there's actually little shadows painted on the wall where different tools ought to go? Um, really irritates me. But, in, you know, and they've got, they've got compartment drawers and all the bolts of one size are in one little drawer and all the screws of one are in one, another. That's God. Incredibly organised. Systematically working through his creation. Speaking. And every compartment separates. Speaking again and then all the compartments get filled in just the right. And it's all very ordered and it's all very planned and it's all very deliberate. Please do not ever think of yourself as a freak of nature. You know, that, you know, over long periods of time, there were all these molecules and atoms, and they were mixing around this cosmic soup, and, and just by chance and over time, uh, hey, eventually you're here. You're way more special than that. You are not randomly made. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. And when it comes to the course of our life, this is good news because it means there actually is a course for our life. This life, this world is not meaningless. This life, this world is not unplanned. This life, this world is not haphazard. A purposeful God created us by his word to have a life with purpose. And a quite wonderful purpose is revealed when we consider the third fact about God in this chapter. The fact that he is a personal God who created this world to have involvement with himself, with him. Look, for example, at verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Now, this personal nature of God has already been reflected in the chapter before we even get to those verses. The fact that God is depicted as speaking, the fact that God makes value judgments about things being good, 
it would be silly to speak of gravity doing those things, wouldn't it? Now, electromagnetic radiation does not look at things and declare that they're good. And so even before you hit verse 26, it's pretty clear that God is far more than an impersonal force field. This God is not some physics equation. And then you hit verse 26, and this personal nature of God really hits its stride. There's deliberation inside of God. Let us make man in our image. Ooh, that's, that's intriguing. It's a tantalizing early glimpse into the Trinity. And the whole narrative slows down and there's a lot more time taken, a lot more detail given about man and woman being created because they are clearly different to every other creature that's been made previously. And they are clearly very different to every other creature in how they are going to relate with God. They are made in his image. Now, being in God's image most likely refers to humanity being God's representative on earth. In the ancient Near East, kings would often place a physical image of themselves on mountains so as to symbolise that they ruled that sort of region of their kingdom. That's the thought here with man as God's image. We are God's vice-regent. We are his representative on earth. That's why humanity is called on to rule over the world and subdue it and manage it. Mankind, male and female, we are created to be God's special representatives on earth. We are created to have a special, privileged role and relationship with God himself on this earth. And in that sense, we are the pinnacle of the created order. But we're not its conclusion. Because it actually still keeps going. And our English Bibles do us a very big disservice by finishing chapter 1 where they do. Because creation doesn't actually conclude till you get into chapter 2. Look at verse 2, for example. By the seventh day, oh, there's a seventh one, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now what really jumps out at you from those verses is that the shape of this seventh day is radically different to all the other days. Lots of all the previous stuff, the phrases that kept getting repeated, they're no longer repeated. You know that whole thing about God said, uh, it doesn't occur here. That whole thing about, and it was good, it's not said here. There's no reference to them in this seventh day. And the effect of it is that makes this seventh day stand out a mile. Because this is where God rests. Not in the sense of resting because he's tired. It's resting in the sense of luxuriating and enjoying his creation. This seventh day is a picture of a craftsman just lounging back, surveying his work and enjoying it in harmony and in peace. And notice, it's the only day that does not have an end to it. There is no mention of an evening and a morning for this seventh day. We are meant to see that this is an ongoing day. We are meant to see that this day is still running. This is a day that you and I can still be part of. 
This is the state of being with God as he relaxes and is in harmony and at peace with his creation. Now, roll that together with what we've already seen about God from this chapter, massive ramifications for the course of our life. This simple, majestic chapter depicts for us a powerful, purposeful, deeply uh, personal God creating our entire life out of nothing and his goal, his aim, his course for our life is to have a particularly special relationship with humanity and to be at peace and at rest with his creation and therefore particularly humanity. Now, there's a lot that could be said at this point. We haven't even touched down on where Jesus fits into this whole thing about achieving peace with God. That is what we're going to be working through over the next few weeks. But even today, starting as we have at the very beginning, it's a very good place to start because we are seeing that we have been made. We have been deliberately made. We have been deliberately made for a reason to be in harmony with God. You were born with a purpose and following God's agenda for your life will align you with that purpose. The other day I was chatting to someone who'd been down to Sydney to watch the cricket. Uh, To be honest, I never quite get that. Uh, Why would you go and sit out in the elements all day when you can watch it in your lounge room? Uh, I mentioned that to this person and they were horrified. They just couldn't disagree more. You just don't get it. It's not, you only say that because you've never done it. There's no comparison, they say, to be there, to see the players up close and in real life, to hear the crowd, to feel the deafening roar of the crowd when everyone goes up, to be part of the crowd, to be part of something that big, to be at the game, they said, they reckon, to be at the game, it's virtually to be part of the game instead of watching it hundreds of kilometres away on a screen. There's no comparison, they they were saying. Now, I'm still a little sceptical, but if I take them at their word, and that is true, that's sort of like the difference between living your own life your way and living your life God's way. Living to your own agenda in this world is putting you way out of the game. It's putting you way out of what things could be. A powerful, purposeful, personal God gave you your life so that you might enjoy being at peace and rest with him. And so to be living your life your own way puts you way at odds with what this life is all about. Puts you way at odds with what this life was intended to be. You are way out of the game. But to live to God's agenda, to pursue God's course for your life, That's where the action is. That puts you right in the game. Because God's course for your life, it's the whole reason you were born in the first place. I'll pray. Father, thank you for your goodness, your power, 
your purposefulness and the fact that you personally want to be involved in this. Father, thank you. Thank you for the enormous comfort and purpose and meaning that that floods into our lives. Amen.